uh, Psalm 106. We've been on a series looking uh, at different psalms because we've been in the se season of Lent. And Lent is a time that the church for centuries has paused to focus uh, with greater uh, detail and emphasis on our brokenness, our sin, our frailty. And the church throughout the, throughout the years, throughout the centuries, has been called to repent, to fast, to recognize our mortality before God in hope of the coming resurrection that Jesus Christ offers us new life, new hope, uh, a restored and, and renewed way of being. And so today we're going to look at a passage out of uh, Psalm 106, such an important passage for us in the life of our church, especially as we journey through Lent together. So let's pray. Let's offer our time before God as we enter into this passage together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us this third service. And I pray that you would speak to us with such precision, with such clarity, that we would walk out of here having encountered the risen Jesus through the pages of Scripture in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we, we, we say we're listening. We say we're open uh, to what you want to tell us today, what you want to give us today. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said amen. I want to begin my time with a confession, actually with uh, three confessions for you on this Sunday afternoon. The first confession is that I have watched the notebook. I, I have watched the notebook. Uh, my second confession is I, have, I really enjoy uh, the notebook. And my third confession is I cried watching the notebook. Um, if I give a fourth confession, I, say I enjoyed crying watching the notebook. But uh, uh, listen, I know it only got 52% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a, a film review website. But the story, I, I love the story. And the story is, is beautiful. The story is it, it's, it's painful in this respect as well. Uh, but without spoiling the movie for, for some of you that haven't seen it, first of all, why haven't you seen the movie? Uh, rented after this service here. Uh, it basically tracks the story of a couple that's deeply in love. And, and it, it tracks their story as they grow old together. And the most painful part of the story, and might be one of the more beautiful parts of the story, is that as the couple ages, the wife begins to suffer from dementia, which is a brain disease that leads to a gradual decrease in a person's ability to think or to remember. But to watch the family experiences as uh, the, the mom, the wife, was forgetting them. She did not know who they were. It was, was very difficult to watch. But in spite of her inability to remember, what's beautiful is that her husband remained faithful to her throughout the years. She didn't remember who he was, but he remained faithful to her. Now, some of you um, have had to wrestle with a family member uh, that suffers from dementia or a friend that suffers from dementia. And it's quite painful because there is an inability to remember. And the inability to remember impacts your present relationships. And as many psychologists and neuroscientists have said, we are a collection of our memories. And when we can't remember, it impacts how we live today. Now, in our text this afternoon, we come across a classic example of memory loss. And uh, it's the kind of memory loss that impacted the way the people of God related to God. It's the kind of memory loss that I call grace amnesia. Grace amnesia. Grace amnesia is a spiritual condition that causes us to forget what God has done in the past, which negatively impacts how we live in the present. A spiritual condition that causes us to forget what God has done in the past, which negatively impacts how we relate to God in the present. And in our text this morning, this afternoon, we come across a classic 
example of memory loss, the classic example of grace amnesia as it pertains to how the people of God related to God. In Psalm 106, beginning in verse uh, number 1, we get the story here. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are those who act justly, who always do what is right. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance in giving praise. We have sinned even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. And they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. And then the next verse here in verse 13, we have the besetting sin of the people of God throughout the ages. This is the sin of the people of God, and this is our sin as well. Verse 13, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. We've been looking at the book of Psalms during the season of Lent. Uh, and this psalm is really appropriate for us because it focuses on a particular struggle that we all have. A particular sin that we wrestle with. And a particular way of being that the people of God has interacted with God throughout the years. And in order, order to understand uh, Psalm 106... You have to understand the story of the people of God as found through the book of Exodus. And so for the next five minutes or so, I want to give you a, a, a five-minute history lesson that helps us understand what's taking place in Psalms 106. And the history lesson flows out of Exodus, particularly around chapters 13 and 14. The book of Exodus, as you know, is the story of how the people of God were under oppression, Egyptian oppression, Egyptian slavery. For 400 years, the people of God were suppressed. The, 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 the foot of Pharaoh was on their neck. The foot of Egyptian culture was on their neck. They were oppressed. They were slaves to the people of Egypt, living in horrible conditions. And one day, they cry out to God. God hears their cry, and God raises up Moses, a, a man of God who would be their deliverer. And God, he empowers Moses. He gives Moses everything that he needs. And so Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. You know the story. Pharaoh says, no, Moses says, let my people go. And finally, Pharaoh relents. Finally, he says, yes. And Moses starts leading the people of God out of Egypt to the promised land. And by the time they get to the Red Sea, there's a problem because there's a sea in front of them. The, the Egyptian chariots are behind them. They are anxious. They are nervous. What is going to happen. And so as the story goes, as you know, Moses puts out his staff and the waters begin to part. The Red Sea begins to part, much like this aisle here. They're able to walk through on dry ground. And as they pass by, the, as the Egyptian uh, chariots and soldiers would go into the Red Sea trying to do the same thing, the waters collapsed on them and the people of God went free. And so the deliverance is unbelievable. It's amazing. 
And once they cross, they begin to do what you would do if you just got freed from your oppressors. They begin to celebrate. They begin to sing. So much so that Miriam, Moses' sister, uh, she begins to write a song of their deliverance. A, a Miriam's song, Moses' song. They got together to write a song. It is a beautiful picture of what just happened. And so you got to get the picture. Celebration. They're dancing. They're singing. It's a ticker tape parade. New Year's Eve kind of style. It's crowded. People are hugging. Ryan Seacrest shows up. He's interviewing people. I mean, it is that kind of scene. Everyone is having a great time. And you would think that after such a dramatic deliverance, after such a powerful rescue, the story would end there. The story would say, and the people of God were rescued from Egypt, and they go on to the sunset living happily ever after. It's a beautiful way to end the story. But the story doesn't end that way. Because in Exodus 14, basically, after the deliverance and after Miriam and Moses' song, this is what it says. It basically says, three days later. Three days later, the people of God who were just singing are now complaining. The people of God who were just rescued are now grumbling. And Psalm 106 says these words, the reason for the change of heart is this. They forgot what the Lord had done and didn't wait for his plan to unfold. And because they forgot what God had done, uh, what we begin to see is a pattern, a cycle, a formula that the people of God wrestled with throughout the scriptures that I think is our formula as well. I think this is how we live this, our world, following God in this cycle. And this is how the cycle goes in five different parts. The first part of the cycle is this. The people of God suffer. They experience tremendous suffering, and we experience suffering. Uh, then second, God rescues the people of God. We cry out to God, and God rescues the people of God. And what happens after we get rescued, after God comes through, after God answers a prayer that you are hoping for, the people of God praise God for what God has done. But the story does not end there. Because what happens, you know what happens, trouble comes again. And trouble will always come again. But instead of uh, singing, what we do is we forget what God has done. And we begin to grumble, and then the cycle begins again. We, we suffer again. And then we call out to God, and God delivers, and we praise God. Then trouble comes again, then we forget what he's done. And then we grumble again, then we suffer again. And then we, God rescues us, and we say, thank you, God. And then trouble comes again, then we grumble again, and we do it again. This is how we live our lives. Three days later, they start grumbling. Three days later, they get Impatient, And the first reason they got impatient was because they ran out of water. Now, you would think if there's anyone who knows what he's doing as it pertains to water, it's God. He just opened the waters up. If there's anyone who has an idea what to do with water, it would be God. So you would expect the people of God to say, Moses, could you ask God, because he just did that, could you ask God... If he can give us some water, the, the water cooler's out, I am thirsty, can you help us get water? But instead of asking God, instead of petitioning Moses, they begin to grumble. They begin to complain. And instead of God saying, how almost smite you, how dare you be ungrateful, God gives them water and they drink. But then they get hungry and they start complaining again. 
And you would think, oh, God, deliver me from the Red Sea. God just gave us water. Maybe we should just ask God again. God, we're really hungry. Moses, could you tell God we're hungry? Maybe he can give us some food. No, no, but they start grumbling. And they start uh, accusing Moses of bringing them out into the desert so that they could starve to death. This is what they're telling Moses. You're, you, you set us up to die. And they start grumbling again. So what does God do? God gives them manna from heaven. Manna is this flake-like substance. And, and, and the word manna literally means, what is it? And that's what the people of God said when they picked it up. They picked it up and said, what is it? Could you imagine saying that to your mother after she cooked you a meal? Uh, what is it? My mother smacked me in the back of my head. What do you mean, what is it? You better eat it. Yeah, what, what is it? You better eat it. And yet the people of God, ah, oh, what is it? And instead of God smiting them at that moment, how dare you? I just gave you food. He gives them manna. And after they get manna, they start complaining again because they didn't want just manna. They wanted something else. And so God delivers for them KFC. He gives them quail. And I don't know if there were biscuits there, but I know there was, there was meat there for them. And the people of God receive the quail, and they start grumbling over and over again. And this is their story in a nutshell, that time and time again, their hearts would grow hard. And as the psalmist is writing Psalm 106 and recounting the history of the people of God, he gets to their core problem. The reason they're like this is because they forgot what God had done and didn't wait. For his plan to unfold. Now, in some translations, it says that they did not wait for his counsel. And that word counsel, the Hebrew word there for the word counsel is really, it's this. They did not wait for God's activity in and around them to unfold. And this one line is probably the clearest explanation of the problems people of God have experienced throughout the ages. We forget what God does. And we don't wait for his plan to unfold. Now I want to let you know that you might not see it right now, but God is working on your behalf. You might not feel it, you might not experience it, but God is active in your life. When we gather on Sunday mornings, we gather to be reminded that as we sing our songs and as we hear Scripture proclaimed that God is moving, God is active, God is working. And I know you might not be able to see God or experience God, but I want to encourage you today. God is active in your life. God is moving on your behalf. But sometimes it takes time for his plan to unfold. And what begins to happen was the people of God constantly refused to trust God. And as a result, they lived with what I'm calling an anxious impatience. An anxious, and now there are different kinds of impatience. This is an anxious impatience. There's a kind of annoyed impatience that we experience, that when you're driving on Queens Boulevard or on the highway and, and, and you're going, you know, someone's going 25 and a 55 and you're behind, that's an annoyed impatience. There's an annoyed impatience when you're at Stop and Shop or Key Food and you only have three items to purchase and the person in front of you has seven items, but they have 14 coupons. There is, that's an annoyed <laughs> Can I go first? Because you're going to be here for, can I just, uh, three items. Can I just go, can I pay first? You know, that, that, that's an annoyed impatience. The impatience of the people of God, though, was dangerous in that it was a anxious, it was a fearful, and, and there's nothing worse than a fearful impatience. There's nothing worse than an anxious impatience. And this is what happens. The more we forget what God has done in the past, the more one becomes fearful in the present moment. The more we forget what God has done in the past, the more fearful we become in the present moment. And this is what their 
anxious impatience began to produce in them. What began to happen is they, stood, they lived their lives complaining because of anxious impatience. They lived their lives then in idolatry, which basically means they went to other sources besides God to find their sense of security. And we all do that from time to time where we find idols of work and idols of relationships, trying to find our source of security apart from God. They, they perpetually circled around the same mountain, and ultimately they lived impulsively. Their anxious impatience caused them to live impulsively. And in all of this, God was trying to form them into a new people. That as they came out of slavery, God was trying to form them into what a free people would look like as they enter into the promised land. And as one person said, it only took three days to get the people of God out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the people of God. And God wanted to uh, reshape them and reform them and renew them into God, what God wanted them to be. Now, when we look at the story and we look at this psalm, we are reminded that this is our story. This is my story. This is your story. This is the story of the person sitting to your right, and this is the, the story of the person sitting to your left. This is our struggle. This is our sin. This is how we act. We all have a propensity to forget what God has done. And as a result, we live with an anxious impatience. Now, when the Bible says that they forgot what God had done, you have to know that it was not a cognitive forgetting. They didn't just go, hey, how did we get here? What, what just happened? How did we? It wasn't a cognitive forgetting that they forgot. It wasn't an experiential forgetting. You, you can't forget an experience like that. What it was, it was a relational forgetting. It was a relational forgetting. It, to say that they forgot what God has done was another way of saying they failed to trust in God. And in our case, as in theirs, not trusting in God is like forgetting what God has done. And whenever we forget what God has done, we, we live anxiously impatient. It's an impatience that's fueled by fear, where we essentially say, God, you're not going to take care of me. And that fear for the people of God leads us to an impulsive way of life. Because we're anxiously impatient, it compels us to live an impulsive way of life. Let me ask you a series of questions. Where in your life are you experiencing anxious impatience today? Where in your life are you concerned or fearful that God is not going to take care of you? Where in your life are you tempted today to be impulsive? One of the clear ways to identify our anxious impatience is to identify how impulsive we make decisions. Is it an impulsive decision you're about to make or you've recently made in a relationship or in a job or in a big decision that you have to make? Without a doubt, our anxious impatience leads to an impulsive way of life. Now, as a parent of an eight-month-old, I've seen our son Nathan carry on what seems like an anxious impatience, which leads him to an impulsive way of being. And a couple of days, a couple of times a day, when it's time to eat, he absolutely flips out. Goes crazy, crying. I mean, he loves to eat. He loves to eat. And while I'm getting his bottle ready, or Rosie's getting his bottle, or I'm getting some baby food ready for him, uh, he's crying, he's, and especially when he sees the bottle there. 
He said, <laughs> he starts crying, like hysterical. And, and I start having a conversation with him as I'm getting the bottle. I don't know how much he's grasping this, but I start having a conversation with him. And I start saying, don't we do this every day, son? Every single day we do this. Every single day we do this. And he goes, oh, no, it's bad. He's had he's, he's, a drool. Every, oh, we, do, we do this every single day. And then I give him my one, this is the one line I give him, I think three to four times a day. This is the line I give him. As he's crying, I go, don't I always hook you up? Don't I always hook you up? And three times a day, I say, don't I always hook you up? And don't I always hook you up? And so I say that a few times, try to settle him down, doesn't work. And so I, I, I start getting his bottle ready, and I notice that his, his screaming went to silence. And so I, I like, what, what just happened there? And, and anxious impatience took over him. And I look back and I see he's silent. The reason he's silent is because he was on his high chair and they, on the table there was a paper. He, he starts eating the paper. He just starts, he starts, he starts eating the paper. And so I said, I need to take a picture of this. And so I took a picture of it. And so uh, I, I took the paper out of his mouth before I took the picture first. But, but this is the face that he had after he ate the paper. After I took it out of his mouth, this, 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 this was, and this is what I told him. As he, he settled down and I said, son, listen. Because I had Psalm 106 in my mind. I said, said, this is what happens when you forget what I've done. And don't wait for my plan to unfold. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth, doesn't it? And so I pick him up and I begin to feed him. And, you know, I got the bottle and I'm I'm feeding him. And as I'm uh, feeding him, it was almost as if, God starts speaking to me. In a moment of just silence, God, I really sense God saying, don't I always hook you up? (laughs) And I needed to hear that because um, it was during the time of the week where I typically fall into what's called really sermon despair, sermon despair. On on Monday, I'm like, oh, this is a great message. Oh, this is going to be so helpful for people. This is great. I can't wait to preach this message. By Wednesday, this is the worst thing in the world. People are going to walk out on me. This is terrible. This is ab- and this happens every single week. Every single week this happens. Without fail, every single week this happens. And I go, God, help me, please. Help me, please. And, and then Thursday, Friday comes, God hooks me up. And, 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 and he takes care of me. He gives me everything I need, the clarity that I need. And so this past week, I was like, oh, this is going to be a terrible sermon. And after I told Nathan, hey, don't I always hook you up? It was like God was saying, don't I always hook you up? And all of a sudden, the fear that I had, that the anxious impatience that I was carrying was dissolved. Because I remember, I remember yeah, he always hooks me up. And listen, he always hooks you up. This is the kind of God that we serve. And so instead of thinking back to God's history of faithfulness, what tends to happen is we forget like the people of God forgot. We forget. And our forgetting, our grace amnesia leads to impulsiveness. And the truth about our lives is we are impulsive people. 
We tend to be impulsive people. There is impulsive eating that many of us from time to time would expect. You weren't planning to eat that sandwich and the cookie and the cake after. You weren't planning to do that and something happened. What? Like some, I don't know what happened. Something happened. You were not, you didn't say I'm going to have a sandwich and a cookie and, a, and some chips. It just all of a sudden you're just, you're just, you're just going for it. We have impulsive buying, impulsive shopping. You didn't plan to buy that. All of a sudden, something happened inside of you. We do impulsive shopping. This is why they say, as you, many of you know, that before you go grocery shopping, that you should go on a full stomach. Don't go grocery shopping on an empty stomach. Because, listen, I learned this recently. If you go grocery shopping on an empty stomach, first of all, you get the grapes, right? You got the grapes, and you're, you're eating all the grapes by the time you get to the checkout. And I realized I got to buy another bag of grapes. Because I just ate the grapes while I was shopping. And I'm also buying stuff that I don't need and stuff that I'm not going to cook and stuff that we're not going to eat. All of a sudden, I've wasted $60 because I went on an empty stomach. We are impulsive. And our impulsivity leads to bad decisions. And, and this is our way of being. This is, this is, and, and, and what's worse than all of this, it's not just an impulsivity that comes out of just, it, it, it's the impulsiveness that comes out of fear. That's the dangerous component, the dangerous uh, reality that the psalmist is getting at here. Be mindful of the impulsiveness that comes from fear and anxiety. And, and so in all of this, in the face of our anxious impatience and our impulsive, the psalmist reminds us about a few things about God. Namely, he really wants to, to mention one thing about God throughout the psalm, and it is this, and this is for all of us today. In spite of your anxious impatience, what we need to be reminded of is this. God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. And one of the most important reminders throughout the story of Scripture, at the beginning of Scripture, at the end of Scripture, in the middle of Scripture, is this. God can be trusted. This is the beginning of the Bible, the end of the Bible, and everything in between. God has a track record so that he is trustworthy, he's worthy of our trust. And time and time again, if you read Psalm 106, what I, I want to encourage you to do when you get home, when you read Psalm 106, the psalmist consistently interrupts the story of how the people of God would sin and rebel, and he would insert how trustworthy God was in the middle of their rebellion, in the middle of their sin. He would say, but God still rescued them, and God still saved them. In the middle of their rebellion, God continued to show himself to be faithful. And so I'm here this afternoon to remind you that regardless of what you're feeling, God can be trusted. God is trustworthy in your life. He's, whatever you're facing today, he's trustworthy. He's worthy of your trust. And throughout the psalm, the, the psalmist is basically capturing many different ways of how God is trustworthy. I'll just give you three ways of where God is trustworthy. He, the psalmist basically says in Psalm 106, you can trust in God's power to save you. God, you might be overwhelmed by addictions, overwhelmed by life. You can trust in God's power to save you. You can also trust in God's provision to take care of you. This is Psalm 106 over and over again. The story of the people of God is we have needs and time and time again, God provides for us. And I'm here this morning, you might be feeling like economic lack or some need in your life. God's provision is there for you. And God, you can trust in God's mercy for you. God's mercy to forgive you that in spite of our failures, Psalm 106 is a story of how God is trustworthy in his mercy and trustworthy in his forgiveness. I love what James Bryan Smith says in this area. James Bryan Smith says these words that God loves to forgive 
even more than we long to be forgiven. Just hold on to that thought for a second. That God loves to forgive even more than we long to be forgiven. It's his delight to forgive. It's his joy to pour out grace and mercy. We, he, we can trust him. He's trustworthy. And his mercy is there for us. And so in light of all of this, the psalmist gives us an invitation. And this is my invitation for all of us here. The invitation is incredibly simple, but it is stunningly powerful. And basically, this is what Psalm 106 says. Since God is trustworthy, remember that. Remember. Psalm 106 is an invitation to remember. And so the cure to impulse, what's the cure to impulsiveness? Not greater willpower. What's the cure to impulsiveness? It is this. What's the cure to anxious impatience? Remembering what God has done. And so as a church, we, we are here really to practice the discipline of remembering. The discipline of remembering. Last week, Pete talked about the discipline really of attentiveness. And in Psalm 23, that we are sheep. We need to be attentive to the shepherd. And my hope this past week is that you've taken a five minutes a day to read Psalm 23 and then pause or, or read Psalm 23 and then pause and just, and just soak in what God has for you. And th- my invitation for us today is we would do something similar but yet something different. My invitation for us and really our homework, if you will, is that we would cultivate as a church family the discipline of remembering. Throughout the Bible, we are commanded. It's not like God saying, hey, I have a couple of suggestions for you to make your life easier. God doesn't suggest this. God, he, he commands us to remember because he knows something about us. That we're so fickle and it's so easy for us to forget. And when we forget, fear dominates and controls our lives. And so over 200 times we're told in scripture to remember. And we're commanded to remember God's past faithfulness so that present fear doesn't control us. And one of the major ways that we remember God's history of faithfulness is through the discipline of journaling, the discipline of documenting where God has been faithful. And my hope this week is that you would, if, you're, if you don't already do it, that you would begin to practice the discipline of remembering through journaling. I don't know of any other better way to remember God's history of faithfulness than to, to write out your prayers before God, to write out your anxieties before God, to write out your needs before God. And after you write them out, that you wait on God. And when he responds to your prayer, and he will respond to your prayer, that you document that as well. And say, God, I had a need, and you responded to it. God, I had a sickness, and you healed me. God, I was wrestling with depression, and you gave me joy. And we capture it. Why? Because Three years from now, you might have the same situation come your way. And instead of saying, God, are you ever going to look out for me? What you're able to do is take out your file. And go in 2008, when I was experiencing severe depression, you surprised me with joy. In 2009, when I had significant financial needs, you surprised me with provision. In 2006, when I was just lonely and needed companionship and friendship, you brought people into my life. And whenever we experience it again, we go back to God's history of faithfulness, remembering that he has been faithful throughout the years. Now, what's fascinating is we live in a documenting culture. This is the most documented period in all of human history. 
because, because, especially because of our smartphones and social media. We document everything. We document what we ate for breakfast and make everyone jealous about it. We document what we have for lunch. We document what we're going to have for dinner. We document where we play. We document where we go. We document where we go on vacation, again, to make people very jealous of us. We document the strange things we see on the subway. We document moments of celebration. We document moments of loss and grief. We document everything. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, social media become documenting platforms. I actually started using an app recently called TimeHop. Rosie told me about it and, and, and it, and it brings up pictures of events and things that you were doing like this day a year ago. So tomorrow I'll look, open it up and say, oh, that's what I was doing a year ago that day, two years ago, three years ago. Oh, Rosie, look what we were doing five years ago. Was it? Remember that? Oh, man. And we're, we document history. But here's the thing about us. We have a way of documenting what we've done. But we don't know how to document what God has done. And so the invitation this week is to document not just what you do, but to document what God has done. Can I tell you what God has done? God, throughout the course of human history, has been faithful in offering forgiveness and grace. God, throughout the course of human history, has been faithful in providing for our needs. God, throughout the course of human history, has been faithful in providing healing and restoration where we need it most. God, throughout the course of human history, has come through in times where we thought there was no way. He made a way out of no way. God has come through in the, in the course of human history. He has shown himself to be faithful. And if you say to yourself, I cannot document where God has been faithful in my life, look no further than the greatest act of God in the course of human history. Look to the cross. Look to the cross where God has been faithful to us, where he pours out his love for us on the cross. Where has God been faithful? God's been faithful on the cross. And he still remains faithful to us. And so we are called not just to document what we do, but to document what God has done. For the past 12 years, I've been journaling. And I have about five journals of all the ways that I've been wrestling with my own fears and anxieties. My own struggles, my own sin, my own worries, my own concerns. And page after page, when I look back, I see all oh, in 2003, 2004, and all this. I, I, I noticed, look what I was going through back then. I th and, and at the end of that page, there was no way out of it. And I thought, this is my life for the rest of my life. And then I flip over about five pages and go, God, look how you responded to me. And then I flip over another three pages. I'm in a pit again. What happened here? I'm never going to get out of this pit. This is going to be terrible. And, and then I flip over another five pages. You got me out of the pit again. I have five volumes of how God has been faithful in my life. So when I end up in another pit, and you will end up in another pit, I just don't have, God, will you ever do it? I am able to go, let me go back to volume number one. Oh, you did it for me in 2004. If he did it for me in 2000, surely he can do it for me in 2015. And you did it. Just take note today because there's going to come a time when 2021, if you can just remember this day and begin to document God's history of faithfulness in your life. When 2021 comes and you're faced with another similar pit, you're able to go back and say, oh, in 2015, on March 22nd. 
at 7.05 p.m., I cried out to God, and, and, and a couple of months later, he responded to me. We're not just documenting what we've done, we're documenting what God has done. When we come to communion, we are remembering. When we gather on Sundays, we're remembering. When we join together in the life and small group community throughout the city, we're remembering. When we read scripture, we're remembering. When we pray, we are remembering. When we give our money, when we tithe, we are remembering God. You've been faithful to me. Our life is about remembering. I want to invite the worship team to come forward, and I want to give you what I think is perhaps uh, the greatest aspect of the gospel of grace in Psalm 106. In Psalm 106, what I love about the psalm and what I, t- what I find great solace and comfort in is how the psalm ends. The psalm basically ends with, with this, that even though the people of God constantly forgot God, constantly did not remember God, God always remembered them. When the people of God forgot God and lived impatiently, God always remembered them and was extremely patient with them. And I want to tell you that when we forget God, God doesn't smite us. God doesn't just, you forgot me again, I'm out of here. No, no, God remembers us all the more. This is how I know how Psalm 106 ends. Where he says, many times he delivered them, and I want to just replace them with us because this is our story. Many times he delivered us, but we were bent on rebellion. And we wasted away in our sin. And yet he took note of our distress when he heard our cry for our sake. And here it is. He remembered his covenant. And out of his great love, he relented. Many times we don't live up to our side of the deal. We don't live up to our side of the covenant. But don't you love that God always remembers his covenant, that God says, even though you haven't been faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. Even though you don't remember me, I'll always remember you. Even though you're impatient with me, I'll always be patient with you. As the book of Timothy says, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And so, brothers and sisters, God is working on your behalf. He loves you with an everlasting love. We are called to wait. Because he always hooks us up. Let's pray together. Father, we confess this morning that while anxious impatience gets a hold of us, drives us to impulsiveness where we make rash decisions without you, not even consulting you at all. And Lord, we repent today. We see your goodness, we see your grace. Lord, we see your history of faithfulness to us. You've been faithful to every single person in this room. And yes, we experience setbacks. Yes, we experience difficulty. But you remain the faithful one time and time again. And so, Lord, this week I pray that your spirit would call to mind in us all the ways that you've been good. All the ways you've provided. All the ways you've poured out grace. And as we remember you, May your peace fill us. May fear go. May fear leave. May we live with a centeredness, knowing that 
you always remember us. And so, Lord, we sing to you now words of gratitude, words of remembrance of all the ways that you've been faithful to us. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. let's all stand and sing together. In, in a nutshell, in the snapshot here, God's word to us this morning is, or question to us is, don't I always hook you up? And the answer is yes, you do. You do. If you're at a place right now where you're experiencing anxious impatience, feeling tempted to be impulsive about a decision in your life or, or something along those lines, I want to invite you to come forward for prayer, that our prayer team would pray with you and pray for you, that God would settle you. Last week, what, what stood out to me most out of uh, Pete's message was the translation says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He settles me. And I love that word, he settles me. God wants to settle you today. In your anxious impatience, he wants to settle you so that he would lead you in the way that you should go. And so if you need prayer uh, for whatever need you have, you can come forward. And to the left, we have the Lord's table where, again, we are reminded, reminded of Christ's love for us. We take bread representing his broken body poured out for you, broken for you. We take the cup, which is, uh, shows us the blood that has been poured out for you. And notice when Jesus says, when he goes, when you do this, do this in what? In remembrance of me. Or when you do this, remember me. When you do this, remember me. And so Christianity is all about remembering. Remembering what God has done. And so you can come down the aisle here. We have Caleb here to offer that to you. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And my prayer is that um, you would experiment with uh, journaling, documenting God's history of faithfulness, documenting more than what you ate for breakfast, but what God has been doing in you since breakfast, all of that there. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with peace, with joy, replacing an anxious impatience that you might have brought in here with you. And may you wait on God, waiting for his plan to unfold, trusting that he loves you, trusting that the best is yet to come. And so I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the patient name of Jesus. And the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace, everybody.